Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. Good to be with um, the saints. Just thought I'd make mention of the announcement there in your bulletin or the men's weekend planned in August. Um, that is for um, all men and boys. Um, it is by Mariah Ministries, same Jeremy Sensnick, um, and he has several others coming with him again this time. Um, he was here two years ago, so there'll be some, it'll be a different um, program. Um, the one we did two years ago was his, the first program, and then this one is a two-year follow-up after that, so it will be, um, there might be some similar activities, I don't know on that, but the material is um, should be different and um, I would say I mean I age of boys um, probably for the activities you know eight ten years old but younger ones are welcome also they just might not be able to participate in the activities All right, um, to go into the message this morning, I'm going to go to John 7, continuing in John. And in, in John here, um, we're trying to understand what, um, what he's trying to say, what he's trying to say. Um, we asked the question, what do we have in John 7? about God and his doctrine that we wouldn't have if John 7 was missing from the Bible. I have to go to our key verse in John 20, verse 30 and 31. I believe it's the key verse of the whole book of John. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But... These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Believing that Jesus is the Christ. Now John 7, I struggled with John 7, and that's the, maybe the, I don't know if you'd say the benefit or maybe the downfall to expository preaching is, is you have to look at every, um, scripture every chapter that's written in that book and so you can't dodge one chapter because you don't know what it's saying um, and so John 7 was one of those that was not as obvious maybe what why it's here um, at first first couple readings through it um, and I but I think now I think I'm getting a, a better understanding maybe why John 7 was written and what we can learn from it and make it practical to our lives today. So what does John 7 have to contribute to believing that Jesus is the Christ? Now as an introduction, we live in a world of free thinking. How I think and feel about an issue or idea may be right. How you think and feel about an issue or idea may be right. What everyone thinks is right is according to their own judgment, their own eyes. The problem 
in this thinking is it goes deeper than superficial or surface issues, but even goes to how I define myself. Example, I can decide in today's world, and world in quote, I can decide what gender I want to be. I can decide what I believe about life after death or no life after death or maybe no death. Um, I can decide if I am under God or if I am God. This is more down the line of humanistic thinking where I am my own God. So a question, if you throw out the Bible, who is right? And I know that it goes against the way we think because most of us we grew up around the Bible. We, we, we all have a Bible. Um, but if you try to think, if you throw out the Bible, who is right? Who says that I can't marry my cat? Who says that a man can't marry a man? Who says that you can't have an abortion? Who says that I can't go and kill another man if I don't like him? And the list could go on and on. Today, I think the gap between a biblical foundation or having the Bible as your basis for what you think and believe and humanistic foundation where I live how I want to live has become much more real. When that happens, there is more confusion, rioting, and wanting to dismantle authority structures from all levels. If I don't think I'm treated right, I can raise my voice till I get what I want. So if you eliminate the Bible, who is right? There is a little lie out there that if you get rid of God, if you get rid of the Bible, if you get rid of your authorities in your life, life will be free and easy. It actually works the opposite. Having the Bible as the foundation and the basis for how I live and make choices in life is freeing. Amen. So why do I say all this? Um, I thought we were going to John 7. We are. Um, we are going to go through John 7. I'm going to try to expound on John 7. And then I may also branch off into a topic of confusion, and various opinions. So if you're at John 7, we're going to read the whole chapter. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, 
but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man, others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, that no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil, who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him, and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said, That Christ cometh of the seed of David, out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. 
Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search, and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Verse 1 starts out here with, After these things, so something happened prior to here. Um, Jesus, probably a few months prior to this, had healed a man on the Sabbath day. Um, Jesus, that was in chapter 6. In chapter 7, Jesus taught in the temple about eating his flesh. And, um, and then the latter part of chapter 7, many of his disciples left him. And so after these things, um, says Jesus walked in Galilee. I think um, now at this point, Jesus is feeling a lot more resistance from the people, from the Jews, um, and he knows that his, his hour, his time is not here yet. It also says there in verse 1 that he would not walk in Jewry. What does that mean? What does um, Jewry mean? The New King James says Judea, so he would not walk in Judea. The Strong says the Judean land, or that is Judea. So, so Jesus was in Galilee, and um, it says he would not go to Judea, where a lot of the Jews were at. Um, Judea and Galilee are more like, uh, maybe you could say, a state, and then there's towns within that state. If you remember Cana of Galilee, um, that was a town within Galilee, and um, Judea, Jerusalem, was within Judea. And so Galilee and Judea weren't towns, so to speak. They were more a state that we think of. And there was towns within there. So, so when he's saying about not going to Judea, um, probably meaning a lot of Jerusalem, um, Bethany, around that area where the temple was. Bethlehem was also in Judea. Now it says that the Feast of Tabernacles was happening. And um, this was one of the three festivals that the Jews celebrated yearly. The other two were the Pentecost and the Passover. The Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day festival where they commemorated the days when the Israelites wandered um, in the wilderness and lived in tents. And actually, these seven days, they would build makeshift shelters or lean-tos out of branches and leaves and they would live in these for seven days to commemorate, to remember their lineage going through the wilderness. Leviticus 23 records that. And so Jesus' brothers here are saying that he should go to Jerusalem and um, celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. 
And Jesus' brothers are confused with why Jesus would not want to go um, because they're saying if, if he is the one, then why doesn't he make himself open? Uh, why doesn't he show others the miracles that he's done, the works that he's done? Um, and so his brothers are trying to get Jesus to go and, and um, Jesus refuses to go at that point. Um, but it says in verse 5 that his brothers um, did not believe in him yet at this point. Um, and so that's why he says in the next few verses, there's seven, um, that the world cannot hate you because they, his brethren, were, in quote, of the world, and the world cannot hate of the world. Jesus knew that his time was not here yet to be crucified, to, be ro um, to rise again. He knew his hour wasn't here. Um, and Jesus said the world hates him in verse 7 because he says he testifies of it that the works of the world are evil. And Jesus was not of the world and therefore the world hated him. A sure sign that I am of the world as if I don't at some point face resistance. Um, Jesus' brothers here were part of the world, and like I said, that's why the world could not hate them. Now, I am not saying that we shouldn't be peacemakers, but if being a peacemaker makes me compromise biblical truth, then I need to stand for the word of God. The world, in quote, will hate the true follower of God. So in verse 10, Jesus must have changed his mind here and decided he's going to go to this feast. But it says he goes in secret. And in verse 12, it says that the Jews were talking about him. They were trying to find him there at the feast. Um, in verse 12, it says that there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Why, um, why were they discussing Jesus? Why, were they, why was there a lot of fuss about this man? Why were they in the um, Strong's murmuring would stand for complaining or grumbling? Why were the Jews here? complaining or grumbling about this man called Jesus. Now they were asking questions. Is he good? Um, is he a deceiver? Who is he? Um, why, don't, why don't he make himself known? Um, and in verse 13 it says that, that they were scared to speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. So there must have been kind of an undercurrent of conversation among the people at the feast that, who is this um, man? But they didn't really want to talk about it openly because they might be accused by the Jews. It seems like the Jews were the, I don't know, the ones that everybody looked up to. So the people were fearful of the Jews and the Jews did not want to take Jesus openly for fear of the people. 
So there's some confusion here. Seems like the people were scared of the Jews, and yet the Jews were scared of the people. Um, and there was this kind of this back and forth. For example, this past week on Wednesday, we loaded a load of cattle, fat cattle, and there was this one black steer that um, if you would get him in a corner, he would come right at you. Um, there was, he had both of his eyes right on you and you, you better move because you're his target. Um, but it also seemed like he was a little bit scared of us. Um, and um, Lauren was there helping and Lauren made the comment that, that um, he's almost certain this steer is almost scared of us, but he's afraid to challenge it. And so there's kind of this, you know, is the steer scared of us or are we scared of the steer? Um, so that's kind of what was going on here was the people were fearful of the Jews and the Jews were fearful of the people about this man called Jesus. In verse 14, Jesus goes to the temple. Um, so this is in Jerusalem. Jesus goes to the temple. And um, the people there are questioning who this unlearned man is. Um, he never went to school. He, um, how does he even know what he's talking about? How can a person that's unlearned say the things that he's saying? More confusion. In verse 18, he's talking about um, seeking my own glory or the glory of God. And that probably determines how to know. Um, so, so a good question to ask is if you meet somebody, if they're a true follower of Jesus or not, is do they seek their own glory or do they seek the glory of God? This is mostly revealed by their words and actions. Um, Jesus is saying here that he is not seeking his own glory, but the glory of his Father. In verse 19, Jesus is still talking to the people here. Jesus addresses the elephant in the room here. Um, Jesus asks a hard question. He says, why go ye about to kill me? Um, and I don't know if anybody had openly talked about this yet. Jesus knew that his time was coming, so Jesus knew what was going to happen, but I don't think there was this open um, talk among the Jews about, yeah, we're going to take him and kill him. And so Jesus just bluntly asked them, why are you going about to kill me? Um, you can imagine the tension in the room um, and the anger from the Jews when they accused him that he has a devil and he is a liar. They're not... Well, they didn't really say they're not going about to kill him, but um, they, they told him that he's, um, he's not telling the truth. In um, verse 23, Jesus brings up about his healing of the man on the Sabbath day. And this was probably, oh, this was back in chapter 6, so it could have been six months um, prior to this, but it raised a lot of accusations against him when he healed this man on the Sabbath day. And um, Jesus is saying that um, you try to keep the law, but if he tries to make someone better, heal him on the Sabbath day, 
that that is wrong. And then in verse 24, he says, kind of an interesting verse, um, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Um, and I, I, it kind of seems like the final to the conversation here of Jesus' uh, words to the Jews here. DSV version says, don't judge by how it appears to you, but hear the matter, and then judge as if you were in their shoes. Verses 25 to 27, it seems like there's more confusion. The people here again are um, questioning. Um, this is the man that they're trying to kill, but they don't do anything. Why don't they take him if he's, if he's the one they're looking for? And then they say, well, this isn't really the Christ because we know where he came from. Um, and they're saying when the true Christ comes, we won't know where he comes from. And it seems like it's, they're almost, the people are almost deceived here because, because in, a, in a physical sense, they knew where he came from, but in a spiritual sense, they were still, they didn't know where he came from. And so they were saying when Christ comes, they're not going to know where he came from. And so that was, that was truth because they, they didn't really know where he came from. They, they knew his hometown, but they didn't know um, in a spiritual sense where he came from. So they were almost eating their own words here. They couldn't see where Jesus truly came from, his Father, God. In verse 30 again, they try to take him, but no man laid, laid hands on him. And um, he says there, his hour was not yet come. And I think we can make personal application to that to our own personal lives. God has a time for everything. Um, God will not allow anything to happen to us or come into our lives that is not for us at that time. Um, I don't think God, something happens in our lives and then God says, oops, that wasn't, you know, the right timing. Um, Jesus wasn't taken here yet because God, God um, didn't allow it to happen because his hour wasn't here yet. And so we can make personal application that the things that happen in our, in our personal lives are God's timing, even though they don't agree maybe with our timing. God will protect us when we're facing troubling times too. Um, and he will not allow certain things to happen to us until that hour comes. Verse 31, the people are confused again. Um, they're saying when, when Christ, when he really comes, um, is he gonna do more miracles than what this man's doing? Um, they still don't believe that this is the Christ verse 32 the pharisees and the chief priests they hear the murmurings from the people and remember this is supposed to be a a festivity time a time of celebration and remembrance and here there's a lot of chaos going on and um, the pharisees heard of it and they sent 
officers to arrest him. Let's get rid of this man that is making unrest here at our seven-day feast. In verses 33 to 34, um, Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. The people in verse 35 and 36 are confused with that. They're wondering if he's going to go to the Greeks or to the Gentiles or to some other country that they're not able to know where he's going. Um, what, is, what is he talking about? And in verse 37 and 38, I think, are the climax of chapter 7. Um, Jesus it says, The last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I think that's the climax of chapter 7. Come and drink. Are you thirsty? He that believeth, the Holy Spirit will come into and will flow out of. Now it says there that um, as the scripture has said in verse 38, in Isaiah 12, verse 3, it says, Therefore, with, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in Isaiah 43, 20, The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. And in Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And in Isaiah 55, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore, do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Like it says there, as the scripture has said, um, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Isaiah testifies to that. Like the woman at the well in chapter 4, she said, Sir, Give me this water. It should be our desire. Verses 40 to 44. Again, the people are questioning. The people are confused. Is this a prophet? Is this the Christ? Um, they thought that Christ was going to come out of Bethlehem. Where did Jesus, where was Jesus born? What if they would have asked Jesus where his birthplace was? I don't know if Jesus would have gave him a parable then or what he would have said, but they were saying here that the scripture says that Christ is going to come out of the town of Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus was born. Seems like a lack of information here to the people caused some confusion. Search the scriptures. 
see where the truth is. And in verse 43, it says there was a division among the people because of him. It's interesting that because of one man, there was a division among the people. A quote, plugged ears cause many divisions. Plugged ears cause many divisions. In verses 45 to 53, the officers that were supposed to be arresting Jesus came back to the Pharisees and chief priests who did not want to get their hands dirty. The Pharisees and chief priests, they did not want to get their hands dirty, so they sent the officers out to do the dirty work. And they're asking the officers, why didn't you bring him? And the officers said, no man spake like this man. Did the officers, in quote, hear Jesus? Did the officers believe? The, uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests then attack the Pharisees um, and ask them if they're deceived. Um, and then they, the Pharisees here, they ask a kind of an odd question, um, kind of a, a dogmatic, um, self-centered, kind of a closed-minded, rash question in um, verse 48. And in my own words, um, they, were, they were asking, have any of the higher uppity people believed? The ones that know the law? Have you seen any of them believe? The higher echelon peoples? Have any of them turned to this man? And then in verse 49, they say, the people um, who knoweth not the law are cursed. And so they're saying the ignorant and the foolish ones are the ones believing. The ones that don't know the law are the ones that are believing this man, not the ones that know the scripture. And then you got this man, Nicodemus, that steps out of the box. Um, he's part of the... Sanhedrin here, part of the chief priests, um, same one that questioned Jesus in John 3, and um, he's also the same man that took part in burying Jesus' body. At this point, I don't know if Nicodemus was a believer or not, I wonder if Nicodemus was maybe had some thoughts rolling around in his mind and was maybe on the verge of believing that Jesus was the Christ. Um, but notice that Nicodemus asks a question. He doesn't make a statement. Nicodemus asks, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? And then they attack Nicodemus um, and say, Are you also from Galilee? Um, but in the conflict of opinions, it goes much better to ask questions. Nicodemus was saying, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears him and understands him. And then verse 53 is kind of a, a neat verse. It says, every man went unto his own house. And so then they departed. They left each other and just departed, split ways. Um, 
but I think sometimes when we are at the point of acting out of spite or anger, we need to separate and go to our own house and think about it. Like I said, John 7 is, is maybe a little harder to make practical to understand what all Jesus is saying here. Um, but it seems like the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the people were not all on the same page. So hopefully I don't go off too far of a bunny trail here, but how do we handle confusion and various opinions? What if the opinions between you and someone else are very strong? What if you feel the way the situation is being handled is very wrong? Is it hard for you to be open to hear and understand how someone else feels about it? Now I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring up a few things here that may be kind of hard to talk about. Thinking of church, we have building plans. Some of you feel we should build now. Some of you think we should wait till we have all the money. Some of you think we should start an outreach. There is various opinions and ideas. Who is right? How do I or we hear each one? Like was announced this morning, we're planning a bishop ordination in a month. What if the one ordained does it differently than Mel? They will, because they're not Mel. Will I be open to that? Or will I walk away if they don't do it the way I feel it should be done? There are various opinions on how to, how to apply church standards. I came up with a list of questions here, and they're not in order, and there's probably a lot more. But as we think about um, opinions, confusion, questionings, um, think about these questions. Number one, can I ask questions, either in a public setting or privately? Even if you are sure that the way you think it should be done is the right way. Would I be willing to give up my opinion to hear someone else's? Number two, who do I want to get the glory? Myself or God? And ask it in your heart, not your head, because all of us know in our head who, who should get the glory. But ask it in my heart, who do I want to get the glory? Number three, are they opinions or are they convictions? And if they are convictions, do I have scripture to back them up? Number four, what is God's will? How does my opinion come under the umbrella of God's plan of redeeming his people and spending eternity with him? And number five, am I surrendered? 
Is it easy or hard for me to come under the authorities in my life? When I come under the authorities in my life, for example, my parents, my boss, the police, the church, God's word, it clears up confusion. In conclusion, life is a journey. On this journey, we are faced with many outside voices. We make choices. We become weary from the heat of the day. The world, in quote, is dry and dusty. Our steps become slower. Our throats become parched. There is, a, there is one dominant theme, thought, running through my head. Water. I need a drink of water. And in John 37, 37, it says, Jesus said, if you thirst, let him come and drink. Will you drink from the water of life? Will you believe? Now, I have two more scriptures that I want to turn to. In closing, and they're two totally um, different verses. And I don't know which one to read first, but I'll read Revelations 22, 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. In heaven, I think there's going to be plenty of water. Now I'm going to turn to Luke 16, and I'm going to jump into the story of the rich man and Lazarus 16 verse 22 and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and he cried and said father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. I don't think there's going to be a lot of water in hell. It's our choice today. Both of those stories, it's too late. Let's decide today. Let's um, kneel for prayer. God, you are the...